The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody. You're watching Sportbox in the headlines this hour. Global stocks show resilience amid a stronger than expected US jobs print. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester telling CNBC the fight against rising prices is ongoing. I don't want to declare victory on inflation before I see really compelling evidence that our actions are beginning to do the work of bringing demand um, into better balance with aggregate supply. Chinese service sector activity contracts for the third straight month while Beijing eases COVID restrictions in a bid to stave off an economic downturn. Crude prices gaining after Saudi Arabia hikes the price tag of its flagship product, signaling strong demand expectation even as OPEC Plus producers accelerate output increases. And what is going on here? I don't think anyone knows, but a U-turn for Elon Musk as the Tesla CEO backtracks on claims the automaker will need to cut 10% of its workforce after saying he feels super bad about the economy. Very good morning. morning. It's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> Since we've been sat around the desk, desk to the, together. I know. Can barely get the words out. I know, I know. No, After we a were, four we day, were three together day a week ago. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, so do you feel super bad about the economy on a Friday, on a Thursday, and feel great about it by the weekend? Uh, it's very confusing for a lot of very smart people. It, it is very confusing. Well, you know, the data is mixed, isn't it? Um, let's get into the data and we can have a chat about this. The I was going to talk about Elon Musk, actually. Oh, well, I mean, know, the most confused man out there, well. isn't it? Especially when his share price tanked on the back of what he had to say. Yes, he feels super bad about the economy and he super feels- bad about his Twitter bid. No doubt at this point. How is that Twitter bit going? Well, I'm not sure it's going anywhere fast. Was it 54.20? Is it still $44 billion? Um, I've been off for a week. (laughs) It could be anything with him, couldn't it? Absolutely. Anyway, what's talk about the economy? The US economy then added 390,000 jobs in May. That was well ahead of expectations. The non-farm payrolls report showed growth in average hourly earnings held relatively steady at 0.3%, while the unemployment rate was unchanged for the third straight month. Despite the improving employment picture, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester says the central bank remains cautious about its outlook for rate hikes. Speaking to CNBC, Mester said multiple smaller rate hikes might be needed until inflation cools. But I'm going to come into that September meeting um, and I don't if I don't see compelling evidence, then I'm, you know, I could easily be a 50 basis point in that meeting as well. So there's no reason we have to make that decision today. But my starting point will be, do we need to do another 50 or not? Have I seen compelling evidence that inflation is on that downward trajectory? Then maybe we can go to 25. I'm not in the camp that thinks we, thinks we stop, you know, stop in September. 
So I took a look at the jobs data as ever as well, and the average hourly earnings just abating a little bit, weren't they, Jeff, as well? But the number itself was pretty strong, and the three-month average is still over 400,000 jobs created on a regular basis. Yeah. But have you seen the latest way that the Doves are managing to look at the jobs data? They're basically saying it's false. A lot of them are denying the fact that there are 1.9 jobs out there for every one person unemployed. And I'm hearing a, a rhetoric coming through, and I've heard it in Davos, and I'm hearing it since as well. Even on my holidays, I heard it. And Yes, exactly. Uh, and the fact is they're saying, well, the jobs offered listings are not actually true. They're saying that actually companies are chucking out lots of jobs offered listings when those jobs do not exist. Well, I would say that is absolutely rubbish because we all know that there are a vast amount of people out there who are picking and choosing the jobs, picking and choosing their hours, choosing not to work, and the participation rate picked up a little bit, but nothing exaggerated compared with historical averages. But I just think it's another very interesting ruse for those people who think that wage inflation is baiting. And I would say on this side of the Atlantic, by the way, anecdotally and factually, there are enormous stories of enormous pay rises. I'll give you one a little bit later on as well. But I just think it's very interesting, the changing rhetoric from the doves. Yeah, I don't disagree with you because um, I noticed as well after this latest report, there was a lot of selective picking of pieces of data. So even as the headline number was very strong, as you say here, um, there were those who were combing through the broadest measures of unemployment like U5 and U6 and were arguing the case that they are drifting upwards again, which indicates that unemployment in some segments of the economy is rising and there's this whole narrative about the great resignation and whether the great resignation actually exists or whether it is really people just rotating out of lower paid jobs into higher paid jobs whilst they have the opportunity while the labour market is tight mm. and in reality the higher uh, demographics are actually going back to work in significant numbers because they are inevitably worried about higher interest rates, what that means for any debt they still have left on their mortgages, and ultimately whether the social security checks will still be as fat as they were during the last few years Absolutely. of the pandemic. Absolutely. I'll get, I, you know, I'm going to do two very quick anecdotes that I heard in the last couple of days. And these are both facts, by the way. Uh, I know an employer locally, where I live, in, in, in the south of England, who said to their workers, right, we're, we're sick of not being able to get workers. We're sick of people worrying about their terms. We will go to our workers and say, what holidays do you want? Seriously, what holidays do you want? And they said, well, I'd like all the holidays for my, uh, when the children are off. I'd like, uh, and they said, fine, we can do that. And then that person who was being asked the question turned around to the employer and said, does that mean I'll have to take a pay cut? And the boss said, well, of course it would. It's pro rata. Oh, well, I'm not sure I can do that then. I mean, I find that staggering. Second story, and this is a fact. You can check it out on the Wilden website, which is one of the local councils near where I live as well. Guess what pay rise has just been offered to striking refuge collectors? 17% this year, 7% next year, plus a cash bonus for re-signing on a two-year contract. 17% this year, 7% next year. And do you know what the GMB has turned around and said? That's a union, by the way. They said, no, we want 30%. I'm not saying those ladies and gentlemen who are in those refuge collections shouldn't deserve 30%. It's not for me to say in my, my cosy little white-collar job, but I'm just telling you the kind of numbers that are out there. And they are fact, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Jobs market on Friday was front and foremost, and hence, as such, we saw the markets falling because the yield on the 10-year, which I'll come to in a short while, picked up to over 2.9%. NASDAQ fell 2.5%, S&P down 1.6%. 
for the week. Let me just tell you, the S&P was down 1.2%. The <laughs> Dow was down 0.91%. It's very hard to concentrate when my two great friends, Adam the director and Jeff the great presenter, are just laughing about my anecdotes already. Isn't it amazing? Yes, and my bins haven't been collected, if you must know. <laughs> Let's have a look at US Tech on Friday. There were some big names going. Yes, I'm bitter. Uh, Tesla, look at that. That dragged the Nasdaq down. Again, he's a very confused man. He's a very smart man. We keep saying it, but he's very confused. Uh, of a Thursday on Friday, he's tweeting about potential 10% job cuts, and as such, the shares fell 9.2%. Do you think the shares falling 9.2% on Tesla had any effect on the latest tweets we've seen in the last day or so from Mr. Musk? Maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? Anyway, Netflix was down 2.9% as well. Uh, Apple lost 3.8% despite the fact there's some news out there potentially about a headset coming our way. Twitter, which has had such a rocky old, oh, rocky old time. What am I talking about? It's got a $54.20 bid on it. Why are the hedges not long of this one? I don't understand it. Surely that's the best and biggest arbitrage of all time. You can buy the stock at 40 and sell it to Elon Musk at 54.20. Yeah. Exactly. Have a look at the treasuries for you. 2.9% plus on the uh, 10 year. That's the pickup from 2.73, I think it was tail end of last week, a week before. That is 2.95 there as well. Um, here's the factor. You're going to have to wait all week for your CPI data. And this is the one that everyone's looking at somewhere in the region of 8.2 to 8.3. Oh, no, hang on a second. I forgot the economists only look at the core figure because us mere mortals who have energy costs and food costs, they don't count, do they? No, that's right. That's not why we've got wage inflation. Anyway, the core is seen somewhere in the region of 6%. Would you like to look at inflation? I'll show you inflation. Have a look at WTI and Brent. There we are. Look at that. 120.55 on Brent. Despite all the actions on SPRs and the OECD nations via the IEA putting more reserves on there. For all the pressure on Saudi, $120 per barrel. Diesel in this country and my dear friends who are paying, what are you paying? $450 for your, uh, for your gasoline in the United States and more for your diesel over there. You should come over here and try and fill up your Buicks, I tell you, or whatever car you have, your Chevrolets. It's a little bit top here, I can assure you. I filled up this morning, I cried. $120.55. Spot gold trading, $18.55. Would you like to look at the Asian indices? Adam does. He's finished talking to Jeff now. Uh, where are we? Uh, down 0.3% on the ASX. I'm not better. 1% higher for the Shanghai Composite. Hang Sang is 1.6% up. What were you chatting about? Oh, we were just uh, chatting about the relative merits of jobs, blue collar vis white collar, and compensation therein. Look, look, who am I? Do you know what? One thing that I really get wound up about is people in the city of London and the Bank of England governor and you and me telling that lower, cost, lower wage uh, people shouldn't get pay rises. It's not for me to say. I'm not a socialist, I'm a capitalist, but equally so. Uh, I do thoroughly believe that there are huge echelons who are struggling. It's not for us to say they shouldn't have pay rises. Let's, uh, let's bring in Neil Wilson then, co CEO of EJF Capital. Neil, very good morning to you. Um, just looking at the headline figure we saw on the non-farm payrolls on Friday and the market reaction then and this morning, what value do you think that number has in explaining to us whether interest rate hikes from the Fed are going to look like 50, 50, 50 or 25, 25, 25 across the course of the rest of this year? Great. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on. Now, I think what we're seeing in the market is a period of cognitive dissonance. You're seeing data that's inconsistent. You're seeing data, for example, ADP came out Wednesday and it was half of consensus. And then you had you know, the print on Friday where employment was above consensus, 20% or so above consensus. So you're seeing this inconsistent data coming in and the market is having a really hard time trying to make 
a pattern of it. And so as a consequence, you're seeing volatility is up and you're seeing these wide swings. And I think what's happening is that, you know, because of this inability to make a pattern uh, or discern a pattern, that the market's overreacting to each data point that comes out. And I think that's what you saw reflected uh, on Friday. Um, but I, I do think uh, you had mentioned this earlier uh, before uh, about JOLTS data, which is the job opening uh, data. And I think that's really an important one to look at because you're seeing basically that two to one ratio of job openings you know, to, to the unemployed people actively looking for work. So I would really you know, point to that. And also, again, you alluded to it earlier, Friday's CPI data, not only from the US, but from China. Give, give us your gut instinct here. Is, is the labor market still strong as strong as it was, or are we beginning to see those job openings disappear as companies fear they can no longer justify taking on additional workers at potentially higher pay? Well, I, I think, uh, and again, uh, you made reference to anecdotal data. Uh, anecdotal data in the U.S. is that you know wages are definitely going up. Um, I'm in the asset management business. Wages have gone up quite a bit. The competition for uh, for uh, labor is is unbelievable. You see that across across the economy. So I don't think it's uh, it's it's going to abate anytime soon in terms of the increase in the co- unit labor costs. Those have gone up. Five five point five percent year over year. I don't see that uh, abating, and I and I do think what that means is that the Fed, uh, like Lael Brainerd, the vice chair, said last week, you know, most likely fifty basis points in June, fifty basis points in July, and really September it could be you know could be an uh, you know another fifty basis points theoretically. So I I really think that the Fed is would like to think that inflation has peaked, but the data is just not you know consistent enough. Um, on the other hand, you are seeing some weakening in terms of inflation in some areas. You're seeing the consumer that's not quite prime. The delinquencies are ratcheted up quite considerably. You're seeing triple C corporate debt is starting, you know, the prices there are really going down considerably. So you're starting to see, you know, those first signs of cracks in, in, in kind of inflation. But I think the Fed's in a, in a spot where they have to ratchet up on the short term. And, and we'll, in September will really be, I think, a seminal you know, time to see what, what happens in, you know, in terms of what the Fed does. Uh, Neil, very good morning to you, or very good evening, where in whatever part of the world you're in as well. Look, I, I, there's a lot of rubbish companies out there that will never make money, that shouldn't be unlisted, really, if they want to make profits. But there are great companies out there, Apple, Amazon as well, and they've come off massively. Apple was 182, now 145. Amazon was 377, a big pardon, 3777. Uh, is now 24.47 as well. well. How do you trade the companies that you know are going to make it, but actually uh, are very aggressively sold down from their highs? Maybe they got further to go. Again, I, I won't speak to a specific company, but I would say that there, there's a there's a big uh, kind of divergence happening between those tech companies, like the ones you mentioned, that are profitable, and those that are not. And 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 I think that makes a lot of sense. So buying on the dips of the profitable companies makes a lot of sense. And and kind of you know disregarding uh, those that are, that are not profitable. I mean, EBITDA, uh, which is a measure, uh, obviously, of profit, that's how companies are being uh, kind of viewed in, in tech land. Uh, and it used to be purely revenue growth in, in large measure. So I think you're seeing uh, an important area. Um, another area that's interesting is, is really you know, in the, in the banks. I mean, you saw Jamie Dimon came out last week and said, I, I see a hurricane coming in nine to 12 months in the consumer. Um, but, but you, you know, there, there, there is really a, a big spread in the market between the three month 
uh, treasury bill and the five-year uh, treasury bond. And that's kind of where banks lend. They lend, you know, that their deposit costs are reflected closer to that three-month and they lend it up more of it a five-year. So I think there are some spots in the market where you can, you know, find interesting, uh, interesting bargains. Go back, Neil, to your answer to the previous question from Jeff, and that is about the triple C and about the junk end of the market as well. How much of a canary in the coal mine is that for the broader debt market and hence equity market, or actually can it remain isolated and ring fenced? Um, I, I think it, I, I think it is a little bit of a canary in the coal mine in the sense that that's where you always see the stress. Um, I mean, people right now are looking for they'd like to, they'd like to own corporate debt because it's. You know, it's it's a floating rate, and so as rates rise in this environment, you know, it's interesting. But when you see some selling off in you know that triple C area, which you know is floating rate, you're, you're, that that really is a sign. Uh, the other sign I would point to, and I mentioned it earlier, we're starting to see in consumer uh, you know securitizations, we are seeing some real cracks in the consumer that is below prime. And, and again, it's not subprime in the old days definition, it's more like an alt prime, but you're seeing real cracks there. Delinquencies have really ratcheted up and over a shorter period of time from when the loans were issued. And that tells you a lot. So 2021 vintages are seeing delinquencies ramp up. And I, I think that's a significant sign. What's been really interesting about some of the recent market action, Neil, is it's been relatively low conviction in volume terms. We've had big moves in the headline indices, but that hasn't necessarily come with high volume on those down days. As, as you say, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in the market over the data right now. What does that imply in terms of the way capital markets are likely to evolve over the rest of this year? Is this going to be a death by a thousand cuts for any of those trapped longs who are still in the market, hoping that they'll get back to where we started the year? Well, I think um, if you're in solid, you know, solid names, whether it be again we mentioned profitable tech names, uh, or you're in you're in uh, things that are away from the consumer, um, I do think that the market will be, you know, will be, uh, you know, you want to be invested. Um, but I think you want to wait for those data points, and that's how if you're a trader, that's how you want to think about things. Uh, as I mentioned, I really think uh, the overreaction to each data point does provide opportunity. Um, and I think when you, when you see these headline, um, you know, kind of statements by Jamie Dimon, Elon Musk, those do prevent or to do present opportunities that I think are interesting. But I, th I think, I think, uh, you know, just waiting for the data, uh, I think Friday again is very significant with CPI coming out um, and then just seeing what the Fed does. So I think it's, it's very much a reaction to the data points coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Good to see you this morning, Neil. Thanks for helping us out. Neil Wilson, co-CEO of EJF Capital. Um, just something to point out on a programming note, our colleagues in Singapore uh, hosting a special edition of Pro Talks this week. Tanvir will speak to the founder and managing partner of uh, Pabre Investment Funds. That's Wednesday, 5 a.m. CET, of course. They're very sorry. popular. Yes, yeah, I did a couple. One with a very dodgy computer, which didn't go so well. I beg your pardon? Yeah. Um, what, you so, interviewed an AI <coughs> device? I was in the middle of this conversation. Oh, the, you Everything was the flowing. It was going really well. And suddenly one of those little messages popped up saying, you are due an upgrade. Ooh. Your computer will shut down Ooh. in 30 seconds. That's not good. It were you using good. it to do the talk? Yes, I was. I had that. Well, this was back in the day when we were doing everything virtually, pretty much. Yeah. I had an absolute nightmare. Yeah. I was on a, a massive yeah. international conference, yeah, yeah. with Patrick Pouyonnet. Mm. Just literally, <laughs> <laughs> it was a, just, just, I think the Patrick, head of Total. Just this is the boss of Total. Well. I think he yeah. thought I was being rude. I just right. went, just disappeared. Just, boop, 
boom, I had no oh. idea. Everything went. That was horrible. IT, yeah. yeah. I did David Roche. Uh, okay. For Pro Talk. Yeah, he was, was good. Some people say it was the best one. That's great. <laughs> It'd probably be superseded in, by this one. But enough about my parents, go. anyway. Uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary, uh, Jan- I understand everything you do is the best, though, pretty much, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, US, that's what your wife said. Uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has denied reports <laughs> that... <laughs> <What's> that? <laughs> uh, let's move on very quickly. Janet Yellen has denied reports that she urged President Biden to scale back the $1.9 trillion stimulus package over inflation fears. The claims were made in an upcoming biography on the Treasury Secretary, which also suggests that Yellen wanted a smaller rescue plan. Now, Yellen says she believed the rescue package announced last year was crucial to driving economic growth after the pandemic. The European Central Bank is expected to formally end its net asset purchases at a meeting later this week, paving the way for its first rate hike in over a decade in July. This is inflation in the eurozone soared to a record 8.1% in May. That's above the central bank's target. Uh, Meanwhile, here in the UK, about 70 companies will take part in a six-month trial beginning this week to see whether a four-day working week could be widely adopted. The pilot scheme will see no reduction in pay and will measure the impact on productivity and well-being of staff as well as wider environmental and social consequences. Four-day week trials are also expected to be held later this year in Scotland and Spain, among other countries. Well, why is that new? <coughs> Some people at CNBC have been on that for years. <laughs> really? Do you want to name and shame? We, anyway, coming up down. on the show, Beijing looks to lift some COVID curbs, but China's services sector remains deep in contraction. We'll have more on that next. Oh, plus I'm told the podcast is, uh, is dreamy today. Uh, for more on May's non-farm payroll report, check out the Squawk Box podcast. It's a winner. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Activity in China's services sector contracted for the third straight month, according to a private survey. As COVID lockdowns weighed on the economy, the Kaishin Services PMI came in at 41.4 in May. That is up from April's 36.2, but still, as you well know, sharply in contraction. Authorities in Beijing will ease COVID restrictions from today, with indoor dining set to resume in almost all districts. State media reported that traffic bans will be lifted and normal work will resume as the city looks to return to normality after a two-month lockdown. Well, Sam, who returned to normality a very long time ago, uh, despite working at CNBC, of course, in Singapore, uh, joins us now with more. Sam, good morning to you. 
Good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, that's right. We have seen Beijing uh, turning to somewhat normality today with uh, that relaxation of restrictions, uh, certainly allowing people to dine in now after weeks of takeaway, people in some areas able to go back to work after largely working from home for the last few weeks and also able to get on to public transport. Those cinemas and libraries and gyms open at 75% capacity now. Those residents will have to show a negative test every 72 hours to get into these public areas. But it certainly uh, is a start right now, given that uh, we have seen uh, the capital in lockdown for uh, a number of weeks now. Uh, Beijing is still reporting a few uh, cases each day, reported six this morning. Uh, so certainly uh, the cases have been on decline, but officials have said that they've managed uh, to stamp out uh, these cases at a community level in most areas, which is the bar that they've set now uh, in order to uh, reopen uh, in this city and also over in Shanghai. So it's certainly is a good start and it should bode well certainly for the services uh, sector given that we did get that data out today which uh, did show a slight improvement as some of those COVID curbs did start to ease around the middle of the month uh, and also the policymakers uh, certainly thrashed out more stimulus measures but it was still the third month of contraction that we have seen suggesting that people are, are certainly holding back on their spending because of the uncertainties around this zero COVID policy particularly given that these businesses still remain a little bit on edge. They know that this strategy is very much uh, the biggest priority at the moment and that any flare-up in cases, they could potentially go back into lockdown again. So this data certainly does suggest that these companies still struggled with some of these uh, COVID curbs. And this data today does look at the smaller and private firms, of course, which have been uh, harder hit, but it was consistent with the bigger and state-owned firms. And that will no doubt uh, fuel or reaffirm these expectations that we could be in for a bit of a slow recovery over in China. Guys, back to you. Sam, terrific. Thank you so much for that we'll see you a little bit later on in the program um, elon musk says tesla's total headcount will rise over the next 12 months while salaried staff will remain flat marking a u-turn from earlier comments in a uh, separate email to employees last week musk said the firm needed to cut jobs by 10 percent because he had a quote super bad feeling about the US economy. That news sent Tesla shares down more than 9% in extended trading. But someone needs to dig into this a little bit more with Mr. Right. Musk because uh. is he saying he's, he was completely wrong? Or is he saying that I didn't like my share price falling 9.2% on the back of what I said because I was trying to direct my comments to workers who I want to come back into the office? Yeah. In which case, does he not need to be held to account? And again, I, you know, with yes. all due respect to the great man himself, the fact is, if he says something which is directed at his employees, and that's why he tweeted that, wasn't it, really? Because he's saying, look, if you guys don't come back, we're cutting lots of jobs anyway. It was, almost, I presume, a threat to employees who don't want to come back to the office and work the 40 hours plus he's saying to them. Mm. But then if there's a reaction to it on the market, which there inevitably is and everything Mr. Musk does, then surely, does he not need to be held to account? I don't know, or not, or does it not... Well, I mean, just add it to the list of uh, things that the SEC is currently looking into. I well, mean, I think every tweet that he sends out generates uh, a new file. Wasn't he supposed to not be tweeting about company well, he, stuff all the time now? Absolutely. After I mean, the, the, the stuff last year. Right. I mean, there is a school of thought that this is somewhat like the Fed, that if you keep putting out, out enough inconsistent noise, 
people will just disregard what you say anyway and not take it seriously. Well, clearly they did, with 9.2% decline. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, the, the flip-flopping just continues. And I think our first guest who was talking about cognitive dissonance in the market summed it up very neatly because look at Jamie Dimon. You were out, but we talked about this last week and the fact that seven days earlier, he talked about how the US economy was so strong, it could w withstand now, what is any hurricane. Well, he, he used a weather analogy then, and then seven days later or so, suddenly it's a hurricane that's coming, and we all have to batten down well, the hatches. Well, is he talking his book or not talking well, his they're book? Well, all, they're all, look, everyone who comes on this channel, and with yeah. all due respect to a lot of our guests, has a book to sell, has yeah. a, a viewpoint to put, get out there. And Jamie Dimon is a great example. Again, Jamie Dimon, possibly, arguably the greatest banker, private sector banker of his generation, mm. Look at his early comments on Bitcoin, for instance. Yeah. Thought it was a horrendous idea. Thought it was a great waste of money. Thought it was very dangerous. It's like now, like yeah, well, we've got client demand, so we'll, we'll we'll do Bitcoin. If you really believed in something and actually you felt that it was wrong for your clients at any stage to be involved in the product which you did not like, then regardless of the need for a better flow, you'd stand aside, wouldn't you? Or do you just say, I'm a businessman. I'm here to make money. I don't yeah. care. I've warned you a lot. Just go for it. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.